Talk about 
knowledge that this person had the influence, how much he was Mashpia, the people who were around him and how much influence he gave to people all over. Who knows, he worked and he lectured and he fought against against all odds, against everything. When I thought, I heard, got the bad news, sometimes you have a big store which is going out of business, or you sometimes see a sign, the last one out, please close the lights and lock the door. With this news, I felt this is this is the sign that Yankiv will have assured him to close the lights. Lights are closed, the doors locked. Over. Who's coming back? Who takes his place? Not only the knowledge he had. Not only the amount of atmosphere, he made you feel so grateful that you are giving him time, that you are spending time with him, instead of feeling that he's giving you. He was so appreciated, he was such a owner. This behavior, no one can tell. What is behind, what is behind the person? When you say a later leader it was by Rebiankiv, not only was a later leader that when you spoke to Toyota, and that was the only thing, is a later leader where the fact that he pushed and continues and did not give up that itself was a role model it's not something we can emulate cannot fathom a person with his master can emulate or at least to me and I'm sure to others in our master he took away all all the excuses was Ryankiv, Mechayev, everyone to daven, to learn, to be to be the giving, giving to other people, and and so on. We can go on to talk, to speak day and night, to bring out the, the feeling already missing, we miss his voice, his warmth, his chavivus, his care, it's already, it's already clean, it's already the, the loss, the emptiness, it's, uh, it's already, it's already hurting, and you can feel it already. So I to help him that 
children, sons, aunts, and idols, uh, and so the whole family always did for him and always did what we know, what we don't know, and they they knew and held him in the regard with the COVID for Rui Loy, Shabir Maiz Yosha, for the family, and all that miss him daily, his Torah, his mom, his Kavidah, his Anova, Shabir Maiz Yosha, and he should continue to be the Mazinza that is Shoimer Alawid, that is going to continue the Shamayim to God, and we should continue to benefit from his Torah, from his Elechai, from his Anunga, from his Tamimus, that we should be saved from whatever it is we don't even know when someone is Shoimer and we have that saves us, that protects us. We don't even know, we never would know from what. So it should continue to be Mishimayim, the Gewaldige Meilat Yosha, until we be Zorcha Tzibila, Amovas Manesha, Kamuch Hashem, Zimu, Ma'otofuna. Some people knew him less well. 
was a remarkable individual, a person of multifaceted intellectual achievements, a polymath, a linguist, proficient in all sorts of chachmais that are alien territory to most other people. The British Leilon chose him. The British Leilon gave him special talent. Al-Kira With that famous genius, that a person who is not an academic could not possibly fathom. But the Rebishman said, Altiro Avdi Yatoy. Why? Because of Yatoy, of whom the Bosif that we have in this week's letter says, the Bartum Bon, the Shifu, the Sefa, Lepka Badera, Mushoku Kumepa. He was first and foremost. A person who is devoted to Torah and everything else were mere paparoids. He had years of history, years of pain, years that were very, very difficult for any person to survive. Years in which he persevered despite all the troubles, pain, tribulations. Difficulty walking would be a great understatement. Most people would not have undertaken what he undertook. He was resolute, determined not to let ailment or physical infirmity prevent him from carrying out the mission which Thorbani Shleilam gave him. Despite the difficulty and the pain, he hobbled, he walked, he managed to teach, to deliver curing. Even the extent of skyping from a sick bed so that the students would not miss out. The
received the proper term. He had a shy one. One of the ones is not terribly significant. It was a question with regard to whether he could daven, whether he should daven, and how he should daven. But it was clear that this was all-consuming, was probably the first call that he made, before he had gotten over the shock of the accident. And the second was only a few months ago. Again, the same question, the same shadow. Should he daven? May he daven? How should he daven? And this time, the voice was weak. This time, it was difficult to make out what he was saying. But it was clear that his question was pressing, that he needed an immediate answer, that it was all consuming. Altiro Abdiyate. The Venishman says, do not fear. But he was in a state of fear. And what does that mean? Rebiaka's fear was a different type of fear. It wasn't the fear of which the Venishman says, I'll fear It was a fear that the Venishman says, not only demands, but what the one which he expects of us. It was the fear of Yahat Shermani, the famous statement of the Beis Alevi, that says that a person who is the Yerushalmi, a person who stands in fear of heaven, has no other fear. Imagine they first find himself in a situation in which his life is in danger. <coughs> of course he's afraid. But the same person, just a few moments before, was also afraid. He was afraid of something relatively inconsequential. The fear that fades in comparison with the greater fear. A person finds herself under a mountain. An avalanche is about to destroy him. Five minutes earlier, he may have been afraid of a bee that was buzzing around, afraid of the sting of a bee. When his life is in danger, the sting of the bee is no longer an object of fear. Normal fears, ordinary fears, didn't exist for Abiyata because he was a Yerushalayim and fear of Rabbanishwaylam masked all other fears. All other fears were suppressed. The 
what does the Rabbanishwar ask of you? But that you fear that be in awe of the Rabbanishwar. That's the fear that the Rabbanishwar commands. That's the fear that the Rabbanishwar demands. Among his other accomplishments was the linguist. He probably knew the linguistic comment of the Slach. Slach, in his commentary on the Septuagint, asks a question. In terms of Hebrew usage, in terms of the Russian Hanikro, seems to employ the wrong verb. One for Benishway long, is making it a man. within more appropriate nomenclature. But the Pope says, the way Shreyal has various meanings. The flock points out that Yerashamayim is different from all other mitzvahs. All the mitzvahs are performed because we're very Shreyal gives us the wherewithal to perform those missions. If Rabbi commands us with regards to Dokka, it's because he gave us the means to descend to Dokka. If he asks for Misa, it's because he gave us the produce that can be tied. If Rabbi demands that we not from Pesach is because he gave us the wheat to grind into flour and to bake into matter. <coughs> the answers will build the mitzvah of is because he gave us entire orchards of its rain. The words of your theology, Halo Mishawai, because Whatever Rabbanishman asks from us, he's simply asking for the return of a small part of the budget that he has bestowed upon us. Yerashamayi is different. Yerashamayi is not a return to the Rabbanishman of anything that he has given us. Your Shemayim is totally and completely the product of free will. Something that man acquires a character trait, but one that a person has to labor in order to acquire. And it's all done voluntarily. I would have translated as what does the Rebunishalaylam questioned you with regard. He questioned you 
with regard to things that you voluntarily provide, things that are all yours to give. That's what the Benish asks of us. Other things the Benish can recover on his own. If man fails seasons the bounty bestowed upon him in the manner the Rabbinish Shleilam demands, the Rabbinish Shleilam can retrieve it. Your is entirely within the power and providence of man. The Torah himself says that the word Shleil has yet a different meaning. It means a borrower. What does the British Shleilam seek to borrow from you? When a person develops Yerushalayim, it's something that he lends to a British Shleilam because it comes back to him. There is schar, there is reward, usually comes back in the form of another mitzvah. How was Yerashonayim repaid to Tzorobiyakim? What was his reward? What does the Rebellion ask? Only! He not asks nothing more than Yerushalayim. It's presented in the words of the Torah as almost something which is trivial, de minimis. No! What is it already? Doesn't seem to be something terribly significant. Because the Gemara is Yashamayim Is this something minimal? Something that can be described as more? What is this little thing that God is demanding? Something very great indeed. Answers the Gemara. In the Gabinoisha. Yes, indeed, for us, it seems like something great, something which requires a great deal of effort, a great deal of devotion, a great deal of concentration. But for Mishnah it was the simplest of all things. So for Mishnah it's Hashem It's almost insignificant. That's certainly very profound. Until, as many of us, but look at the Boston in context. It's not the Rabbinish Shlom talking to Mishra It's Mishra delivering a message to Kali Israel. Mishra knew his own worth very well. He knew. And he occupied a madrigue that was not shared by others. How then does he make sport of Claudius Royal, 
that is the tale girl Yahweh, that is the voice of Yahweh, that is preserved for posterity. Altira Abdiyakari, the Catholic, has nothing to fear. He left a great legacy. He came MS He left a legacy of MS, a legacy of truth, a legacy of Yerushalayim, his dear wife, to his cherished children, to his grandson, to his colleagues, and to his family. Has nothing to fear because his life is an exemplar of the greatest fear to which every Jew must aspire. The fear of heaven. The Yiras Shamayim. That is his legacy. Adila Hamodis Kometa. Mocha Shandima Meyal Something struck me yesterday that we read the Shabbos in Parashat Ve'ezhanan and that we leave that my father-in-law knew we were going to read it when Hani told him on Friday afternoon that it was Erev Shabbos and it was Star's favorite, favorite Parsha and he waited for Shabbos to end, to be over to be with Akadosh Baruch Asher Natan Hashem Hashem Naka Hashem gives and Hashem takes part. It says in this parasha in Perek Dalek Pasukbet Lo tatitwa la tavar asher anokhi metave etchem velo tigreu mimenu Do not add to the matter that I am commanding to you, and do not subtract. <coughs> My great-grandfather, your dad, was this chapter, the 16th of us. And very often, we discuss with that. The later, my great-grandfather wrote all his children and grandchildren before leaving this world. In Yiddishkeit, if you want to keep on the right path, do not go too much to the right, do not go too much to the left. Ta love using this verb and causing it. Because 
That is how he was, true to himself. Never too much to the right and never too much to the left. I realized last night how fast the news of the loss of the big town in Krakow can spread like fire all around the world. And you probably all know what I'm talking about. Between Facebook, WhatsApp, Google, etc. We all got some message, we all got some message talking about Dr. Professor Jakob Elman and people mentioning his love, his generosity, and always thinking about the other. And one thing, one thing moved me especially is to hear about the learning that last time all around the world, 1,500 students of my father and law did in his memory. My father and law was a very special person. He could talk to everyone. He could make a conversation in any language. Hebrew, German, Yiddish, French, Farsi, Arabic, Middle Eastern, English. You know, I remember the first time I went to spend Friday night in his house, and I told Hadi how scared I was to be at the table, afraid to be asked so a question or a question that I could not answer. And she thought I was nuts. <laughs> the only question he asked me was if I knew the tune of me what he was going to sing and if I was going to sing with him. That was a country music tune <laughs> of the theater. Then the Torah question came later. Actually, he challenged, he challenged me in different ways. And when he was paralyzed in the hospital bed 14 years ago, he could not even hold a book. And I went to David to lend the Megillah. He corrected me every mistake I made during the lady. He knew it by, he knew it by heart. He knew all the Torah, all the shots. All by heart. Not only knew it by heart, but also the Maria Macor. How often all of us would call, uh, would call him and ask, Now, where do we find this word of God in the Torah? And not only he would tell, us, he would tell you where, with the exact Perak and Pasuk, he would spend the time to explain it to us, showing us who has put this word in the Gemara and why. Two minutes for call was always a 10 or 15 minutes in my Torah. If you see the Jewish story of the, of the Torah, we can see that often Tzadikim did not have a quiet life. Hashem wanted them to go through some big challenge to see how strong they were and how much Kiddush Hashem they had within them. My father-in-law's life was extremely challenging. He was born early, lost his father at a very early age, was in a car accident 14 years ago, which at the time the doctor thought that he could never walk again, but he surpassed all that challenges. He walked again after the accident, flew back and forth every week to Harvard, Yeshiva University, home, and traveled all around the world with a cane to give a lecture or a class. And when it became more difficult to move, and some people felt so sorry for him and were afraid to call him to find out how he was doing because they were afraid to feel bad. He 
wanting his computer, publishing books, giving class online at home or in the hospital all remotely. Learning and teaching always surpasses the challenge of his mobility. I've been privileged and honored to learn with my father-in-law until recently every day and I would like to share with you the message he wants these people to understand and to keep today. My father-in-law was very close to Agutner, and he's maybe the only person in the world that understood what exactly Agutner's message was in Paradisra. And two of the old things Ipratu and Arthur. Renoir joined unity. First, never be afraid. If you do something wrong, you, you always have the chance to redeem yourself with the Renoir. We are coming soon to the Yom Yimnoi. Hashem is here to show you his love show you just even a small step every day a change you make and that brings a renewal. Stop judging people for what they are or for what they do, what they wear. Everybody has a chance of this fashion. The second is you. No later on Friday when Kali and I went to the hospital it was amazing to hear the nurse manager telling us how impressed she was with the family. Everyone was stepping in. Everyone always added a bit to the further by going there, day, night, by calling on the way to work, by making food for him, <coughs> by playing and learning with him. We all added something of my, to my brother, you know, my sister, you know, to all the grandkids. And Khali, you love to your father all the grandkids. You were like personal secretary who's taking notes, sending and answering emails to him due to the time between the eighth grade graduation for the school to work, to take care of the kids, all until 4 a.m. a few times a week, and he knew. And he loved you, and you could feel it, you could feel the love, you could see the complicity. Always coming by your name. Unity in the family what are made sure would always happen. And let's remember this because unity gives us strength and joy to all of us. And we will always remember the unity and things that come up, it's like the Shenema, the Corpesa, or the no extraneous stock. And Ta, your love and care for all of us is and will always be. And now, 
there is a good use for the our life. And we will make our mission to feel it by staying united and always use what you taught us as well as what you taught other people all around the world to keep your memory alive. Distracted 
from the work and what he has to do. Together with that, he was extraordinarily generous with his time. The big principle very often gives the project, looking at the project, you have to move on to something else. And for Yaakov, if he was pressured that way, he managed to hide it. And I think it's even about the period when he had terrible physical problems to overcome, when he was writing a lot and commuting back and forth between Yeshiva and his father. And somehow when students or colleagues wanted to talk to him and wanted to hear what he had to say, somehow he managed to do this. And even the people had every right to be annoyed with. And when it came to collect work with Colton, Extraordinary to find that sense of responsibility to your own work and other people in the same person. Yaakov understood that this is not something that the person does to keep people alone. Whenever we discuss who accomplished a great deal, he would always, very frequently, at some point say, he acknowledged that this kind of accomplishment is a partnership, that even to satisfy purely intellectual ambitions, let alone to raise a large family, requires a connection. And I'm certain that when he said a shakhabit, he was thinking about his own fortunate life. But intellectually, he was up for the challenge. Ask you, leaving aside the dread, can you imagine, anybody who understands anything about the educational world, a man past it who has achieved a great deal in more than one field, he can certainly spend the rest of his life working on ideas that he already developed about a stage of life. Sitting down to study Middle Persian, a language that has nothing in common with any of the Semitic languages that we are familiar with has nothing in common with any European languages that we can we think we know something about. Uh, a language 
but it was not even a proper grammar book in English that he could tell them stuff with. And at that age, you sit down, you master this completely esoteric field, and you go on and create an entirely new area in Jewish studies that involves studying up in the context of the Persian background. Under determination, the will, the appetite to see a challenge is something that needs to be done. Other people knew that it might be helpful in learning a lot of about Persian. People are daunted by it. Start from nothing and work your way up. And I would have to say that if you want to understand who Yaakov was, you have to understand that unlike many people or heroes of the library and the computer, the same determination carried over when he had challenges he had not asked for. Challenges. Same way, if he was capable of walking 20 feet in a hospital corridor, next week it had to be 50 feet. If he could manage with great efforts to walk with two canes, the next step was walking one cane. If you could handle this number of steps, next month it had to be more steps. The same determination, the same appetite to discover new knowledge or to recover old skills. I go back to that very difficult character-making year of 2004. suddenly discovered that he's paralyzed from the neck down. <coughs> Helpless from the neck down. The late nights, don't to get any kind of rest. They had to give him Painkillers, sleeping potions, everything, 11 o'clock on the 30th night. But the drug does not take effect right away. So once or twice a week, he would pick up the phone, call me, and until the point came, he could go to sleep. Half an hour 
45 minutes, maybe more, he wanted to talk. What did he want to talk about? The article he was writing in his head. And he did not have a shot in front of him. I did. He did not fall to the Mars. You said, well, you know, Holden uh, cooked a zine, and you know, Menaka paid zine, and you remember the Sassa, I know. If I knew we spoke about it, we spoke about it, and I know tonight. The review was the Persian stuff, especially when he didn't translate, uh, that I couldn't handle. And it was meant that it would take three conversations where we review them, put one together, and I'm interrupting, again, we were doing this for his sake, not for my sake, and no one's interrupting, and I would get the entire picture. This is what he was doing in the mind, a moment of enormous anxiety, physical pain. about that difficult year, his physical problems. There's a person who's not here whose name should be familiar to anybody who cares about him. A teacher at YU, Arabic, Aramaic, Richard White, for purposes our discussion now is it important to know that he is not Jewish. And I'm sure that God was born. He, he kept talking about it. Uh, this comic, every shot is not failed. He spared the family. He did not want the entire family to have to camp out and shot hospital in Manhattan. He was there. There was any progress. There was Paul, Paul, Yako, moved his toe. And those colleagues who thought what to know, Richard immediately sent an email and phone. Yako moved his toe. Not here, not in the country now, but it's something we should remember. Yaakov aroused loyalty in many of his committed and many of his colleagues. And his case extraordinary place among the Creativity, 
think point how many years we had discussions. But a very important question, how does one integrate traditional college learning or 20th century Lumpus with academic approaches in history, literature? And I realized that that debate here on in, I will have to take both sides of that discussion. There are other people I can discuss what Ramban said, but who else can I discuss what Ramban did not say? Why did they a point that Ramban could have made, should have made, and didn't make? I don't know who else. The hour is getting late and we're going to have to get to the uh, cemetery. So, uh, just for the sake of letting you all know, especially those who are standing, okay? um, after uh, uh, our next speaker will be a uh, close personal friend of my father's, uh, uh, Sandra Epstein, my aunt, my father's sister, and my aunt Shelley will say a few words and then I will close it up. Our goal is to be on the road by about uh, 22 or 42.
support, you can listen, and you can do all the laws, things you can go. Rashi now, Aiken means it exchanges a lot, that's how we can't reason. Rashi says, Aiken, people refer to this as a place of touch, but this is how it's even significant interest that people do. If you do these insignificant interests, then you will get stuck. What is bothering Russia? Okay, I've taught you over many years, I know for the 40 years, everything has to fit right. If it doesn't fit right, then there's something wrong. What is bothering Russia? What is Russia take? The simple answer to exchange you do this, put the form and everything will be fine. If you look at the publish the word Aiken, where Aiken appears three times in publish before this particular question. This is the fourth time this word Aiken appears. The first time it appears by Abram, right after the Akhaz, Aiken, Hashem tells him, because you listen, um, therefore Aiken and Hashem are going to get started because you listen to what happens. Second time, it says by Yitzchak, Hashem tells Yitzchak, Aiken Rashi Shom Avrom Kaili because Avrom listened to me. Says Rashi, when I tested him, he listened to me. Aiken does not simply mean quit pro quo you do this and you get that. Aiken, if what you've done is an akeda, if what you've done is survive the soil, then Aiken, something will happen. The third time is by the Moroccan story when they felt. And Paul stood up, and Rabbanish says, Aker, that Goliath was Aker, he didn't listen to them, and therefore he will be rewarded. Rashi says, What does Aker mean? Aker means that he was duplicitous, because when he was with the rest of Morocco, he couldn't show his true colors. He was in a very difficult situation, people would have killed him. Therefore, he managed to fool them into whose side he was really on. And because he was able to accomplish that, that's why he was able to survive. And that's why he deserved to be, to be rewarded. That's why Rashi over here at the beginning of Aiken has to explain that it's not simply because you would do it. You would do it it's from Kalahans and other Gushmans. It's almost the exact opposite. It's so difficult because it's so minimal. What I would like to suggest is that the actor read this puzzle, not the way Rashi did. He interpreted it differently. At the end of Mishpotin, when Moshe is talking to Father's role, he reads on the Torah and he said, Nasim Nishma. We'll do and we'll hear. Strange order. First, you have to hear, then you have to listen. When we hear the puzzle, the puzzle was, Ekev Fishbon, when you listen, which Martin Asisa will be too afterwards. When we talk about listening here, listening does not refer to I'm pretending something just here. Here it means they're hearing, not hearing. Listen to the message that I have. And once you listen to that message and you understand the bits of Torah Mitzvah and you do it, that gets the reward. Doing by rote, but not thinking about it, not understanding it. Rabbi Yaakov did everything by understanding. He took all his intellectual prowess, which was in every single area, science, theology, 
Torah, linguistics, whatever it was. We once were learning Murdubucha, and he was reading uh, from the Marital Letters, and which is in Ukraine. And as he's reading in Ukraine, uh, he looks around and the rest of us didn't know Ukraine, really, by the way, his language was back in the time of the But on the, on the right, that was on the left side of the sheet. On the right side of the sheet, there was a French translation. And one of the people in the room was Frenchman. And the doctor asked him, am I reading the right? And he told him, no, because I'm reading the French, and the French doesn't say what you said in your grid said. To which Rebianco and Rebink had gotten into a fight of one Frenchman. He knew exactly what was going on. Rebianco, everything had been exactly right. If, if there was one thing that I believe I taught him, was that not everybody is like him. Not all of us can do that. So at the end of the Murder class, I, I was married at the time, so I used to drive him home and we used to talk. And he was concerned about Yitzi. Yitzi was all of about 11. And Yitzi had not yet gotten to the point where he was concerned with the ordering of the Mishnayas and Privy others and the language that perhaps it wasn't exactly accurate. And he, start, he started, see, by now he should be asking these questions. <laughs> and not personally, I had what he was talking about, so I didn't want it that hard. And I convinced him that not everybody is like that. So I believe I put in one thing, which was very narrow, but he taught me everything else. And when he goes up to Shemaya now, there's one final thing. Most people have bodies, and in their bodies they have a brain. When something is wrong with their body, their brain can function because that's the main thing is their body. But Bianca was a brain that had a body. And if the body wasn't behaving properly, he shut it down and went completely to the brain power. And I believe what happened was that it reached a point where he couldn't control the body at all anymore. And therefore, he wanted to get together with our Southern Italian, with our Buddha, with the Persian Amaroyim, and talk to them about all the things that he wrote about. And while he's up there, he has enough time after he's talking to them to uh, come and pray for all of us in Judea. I'll say publicly that Sender saved me from uh, much, <laughs> much grief. Because as much as I tried to tell my father that uh, my brain and most brains didn't work like his did, he took it from Sender because I think Sender and Shalom are probably the only two people that I know, on a blind speak, of course, as well. Uh, who, who, whose heads function in, in, in the way that my father did. Uh, I'd like to call upon uh, my father's sister, my aunt Shelley, to come up say a couple of words. And uh, the nieces and nephews are welcome to join as well to give aunt Shelley some support up here. She loves public speaking, so we would appreciate if uh, they come stand here with her.
If I speak Ugaritic to the baby, <laughs> will the baby speak Ugaritic? And I said, yes, but who will understand? <laughs> Words from uh, David Berger, the dean of Bernard Rebel Graduate School, sent in memory of my father. I'd like to read. It says Yaakov was a remarkable combination of complexity and single mindedness. He was a traditional Talmud Chacham and simultaneously an outstanding practitioner of academic study at Talmud at Yeshiva University and Harvard. Honored as a fellow of the American Academy of Jewish Research. Who gets emotional about this? <laughs> While continuing to see Putner as his mentor and inspiration, he was deeply concerned, even pessimistic, about the state of contemporary Judaism and hoped against hope that his own brilliant and wide-ranging work would contribute to its rejuvenation as a home of sophistication, breadth, and enduring commitment. His path-breaking demonstration of interaction by the Amorayim with the cultural environment the Maharal's engagement with Renaissance ideas and the Hasidic dimension of Rav thought were all part of an integrated, focused quest 
for his rejuvenated, for this rejuvenated Judaism. His fierce commitment extended to his students as he worked to place them in academic positions, and as he commented on the drafts of doctoral dissertations, even in the last months and weeks of his illness, his heroic, awe-inspiring battles against physical tribulations can be addressed far better by people closer to him than I. That was Dr. David Berger. Unfortunately, I'm the last speaker, so much of what I wrote, or some of what I wrote, uh, has already been said. Um, my brother Zed uh, put a few words to paper that I'd like to share. And he says, his favorite rarely sum up a life attempting that is not something anyone can make good on. So he'd ask that we just, he add a couple of words on to what I'm going to say. And so Zeb says, I'm grateful for the time we had together. In recent years, the conversations alone on Friday night, the learning over decades that I benefit from spiritually and toward the end, which kept our spirits up, Shem Shmuel, Meshilah, Maharal, Kedusha Salevi, and of course, wherever we would go, whatever we would learn, we would end up back with Shemesh Shmuel. It was our favorite safer for many years and a favorite way to spend Friday night. Whether in the rehab or in the hospital, he knew a mammoth amount of Torah and could always explain context to various Gemaras and Midrashim as we would follow the Shemesh Shmuel's special weaving of insights of the Parsha. But it wasn't regular learning. It was on a level that had a simplicity and a nuance to our particular line of intellectual, spiritual, religious tradition, but encompassed and respected the vastness of Torah. We had a mini yeshiva with a sense of the writers of the Sfarim learning with us. Learning with him was to learn with a unique mind and a soul who was deeply connected to our tradition but not blinded by it. He understood that to safeguard great faith, we have to be truthful and honest about the way ours developed. That honesty enriches it by showing its deep value-centered value and ethical aspects, its realism and appropriate stoicism, and an evolution via generational consciousness that holds Torah values just tightly enough and just flexibly enough to work. If I didn't know better, I think my father wrote that sentence. Maybe. <laughs> he understood the meaning of zeitgeist, zeitgeist, well, <laughs> he was able to value tradition, but almost also illuminate its context and development so that it could be better applied and followed. And most importantly, believed in it, believed in for its goodness and usefulness to the human living with faith, Jewish living, and its problems. Not a tradition that is followed from a rigid place of fear. He valued the individual and showed where Rabbah and Ramban and the Maharal, Rakuk, Rakutner also valued the individual, not just the community and we're all drawing from the same well on many themes. As many here know, one of the greatest gifts we gave, he gave to the world was a fuller understanding of how Gemara developed, the cultural and historical context and conversation the Amoraim had with the larger society. And that was true for every stage of Torah Shabbat He was profoundly reality-based and understood societal and historical forces that were perpetual like no other. Every Sefer we explored at a time in which it was written, it had an intellectual influence and concepts that relied upon, oscillated around and germinated in that preceded it. It didn't come out of nowhere.
you saw the long view to the themes of different generations as unique to them, from the ancient Near East to Babel to Rome to Prague, and the Maharal's understanding of history and its eye on Lula simultaneously, drawing from Steven Pinker and his view of gradually increasing democracy and greater human rights in the better angels of our nature, our favorite book, points we would often circle back to. All of this, while struggling with the disability which was spoken about here today, uh, but an unplagued spirit of effort and optimism, his love of inquiry and intellectual creativity that he wrote about and modeled with an endless and implicit backdrop of his family life. He lived this message. On a personal level, my brother writes, he gave good counsel, drew from sober life experience, but also hope in remembering that the good that life has to offer, the possibility and the value of seeking it and achieving something. He knew what it was to have a sense of mission and to follow it. He saw hashkafa in it. He hoped for us kids to find our paths, but didn't intrude or pressure us with those hopes, except for what he did with them. He had worked through uh, and, uh, and compassionate hope, and uh, he will deeply be missed. I don't have to talk about this week's Parsha because that was covered. Um, and uh, while I'm used to speaking in front of groups and audiences today, words obviously seem to fail me, so I hope you will indulge me as I share just a bit before we, we move on. As my aunt pointed out, my father was born, he weighed about two pounds, and it was unlikely that he was going to make it. Uh, yet he thrived, and he made up for his low birth weight, putting on the pounds as a typical woman style. His doctor commented years ago about his metabolism that it was so slow that in a famine he'd be the last to die. <laughs> at family events in WhatsApp chat, so through the years ago, we pulled his back at last, as we've done today, and we take comfort in the fact that the only half to shape being round was okay. Growing up in the Bronx around World War II was not easy, as for a year he refused to work on Shabbos, and it often meant. Uh, we'd be firing for my grandfather, but that was just a fact of life. As my aunt pointed out before, life is really an uphill battle. My father lost his father uh, when he was in his late teens, and he was forced to grow up quickly. He always seemed more mature, though, than his chronological age. He worked at the post office while he was in school. He earned his degree to help support my grandmother and Aunt Shelley. People often ask him how he became so learned, so smart. What did he always say? Torah Simecha. It came from what he learned at home. But his learning and growing in Torah never stopped. My parents met at Akiva. He was teaching, and my mother sat on some of the classes as, as I am told. Right? Where? Mizrahi, I take it back. <laughs> Soon they struck up a friendship, and when they got married, my father was working as a, uh, I believe, a meteorologist to weather routing. I remember listening to Ted Tin Wins and CBS and WOR, even WNBC to hear if I could see if I could hear him mention his name on the weather forecast and what was going to be taking place. I never heard his name on the radio, but I did find Highness. <laughs> In the early years, I know that my father loved to ice skate, ride his bike, he boxed, he used to fly kites. He was fascinated with the weather. He even flew his sukkah once for a few blocks. <laughs> Down West End Avenue in the city. 
fondest and earliest memories are of him taking me for rides on his bike with that special seat. Something I did with my kids when I became a father. He took me and my friend Steve and I skating when we were kids after a speaking engagement. We were bored at the speaking engagement, but we marveled at how graceful he was on the ice. He could make turns on the skates, crossing one foot over the other, and I tried to learn that, but I was never able to master it like he did. He was straight as an arrow. Ma, he always pointed that out to him, sometimes to a fault. And yet, we have all inherited that trait from him. Yet I bet most of us, as straight as he was, most of us here today don't know that he actually spent the night in jail. He was on his bike, riding somewhere upstate when nightfall came, and he needed a place to stay. Somehow he, he miscalculated, or in typical uh, fashion, he overshot an exit, I don't know, and, and, when it, and it got dark. And he either came across the police station or a police car and asked if, he can, if they could help him find a place to stay for the night. They opened a jail cell. <laughs> which he gladly accepted <laughs> he continued his trip he worked as a manager at a cheaper bookstore on the lower east side in the early years and as kids we realized that he wasn't like everyone else he had books both judaic and secular everywhere we'd get books as far as presents i just wanted cars and toys but this is what we got books so we had books everywhere also people who came to visit us at the house learned quickly that you could not flop down on the couch because it might result in a beheading by a Gemara that was perched on the back of the counselor. My father wasn't only about books, he loved music, and he loved to laugh. I used to build Lego as a kid, and he would often come into my room and take all the little Lego men and put their heads, stack them up on top of another, or spread them out, 50 heads on one little guy. And he found it funny, I guess, because it was funny. He loved music, and as we all have a piece of that in us, my brother Deb inherited the uh, lion's share with a keen ear for music and his musical talent. Mr. Deb operates his own music studio, producing music and training musicians up tomorrow. He's even woven music into his practice as a therapist as well, viewing the values of our parents that they, that they uh, play. <laughs> the taste that my siblings and I have in music definitely stems from this, from his and Uncle Lenny's musical taste in the early years of country music heard of WHN with Bill Montro and Jesse. <laughs> Multiple albums by lesser-known bands like Steelheads Band and Charlie Daniels, Gordon Lightfoot, the Gashash albums of Eitan. Gashash. And the way we try to weave Bob Dylan songs into his mirrors. He also enjoyed Enya, whom we, whom we despised, and Yanni, Yanni when my father liked the song, he always knew, we always knew that he listened to it over and over and over and over again. Begging him to change the song would result in what? In him replaying it again and again and again. For those of you who only knew him in the later years, it might be hard to imagine, but there were some songs that he'd actually get up and dance around the living room to in sort of a jig. He had an 18th century dance album. Let's just say we heard it a few times. Unfortunately, one day it mysteriously disappeared, never to be found again. <laughs> to those of you who have accused me of pulling that record out of circulation, I'll continue to deny, I will continue to deny doing anything of the sort except 
I wished really hard that something really bad could happen to that album. Ma, you supported Tom's endeavors for close to 50 years. Your support meant the world to him. He often read to us because he loved us, but mainly I think because he loved books. We especially loved when he read to Dr. Seuss, Eggs and Liver. <laughs> See, he was so straight, he didn't want us to think that ham was a food option. <laughs> and when I'd ask him about the liver and I'm watching with the story, he'd laugh and just repeat, Eggs and Liver. <laughs> and for backup, he'd ask you, Ma, what it said in the book. And of course, you said the same thing, and we didn't know any better. Tom loved being with you. Hours and ends of passing him sitting in the den, learning, reading, developing in the field of study, you know, like people do. <laughs> it would be quiet in the house except for two things. The sound of his fingers rapidly hitting the computer keyboard, and Tom calling your name every few minutes. Bryna? And then you'd say, what? <laughs> and he'd say, nothing. <laughs> he just wanted to know that you were there. Sometimes he would spice up his response and ask me what time it is. What time is it? When Tom was working his way through college at Columbia and couldn't attend classes, he went instead of him and took notes for him so, you, so he could keep up with both work and school. You postponed your own education, not receiving your college degree until later on. You graduated college, Mom, when Penny, who was 28 today, and expecting his first baby with Leia was like, Penny was like four years old, and you graduated college. Pity was with us at your college graduation. You sacrificed, you educated your life to talk and to all of us. You made sure that Todd had a home-cooked dinner every night. Whatever he needed, you were there for him. He worked and he studied, he schooled, he lectured, and as we said, he started a new field of study. And you supported him every step of the way. It was never easy. We had what we needed and you made sure of that. The last 15 years since Todd's accidents, car accidents, were, were extremely challenging. The accident marked the beginning of a rather significant physical, <coughs> of rather significant physical challenges. And it impacted his ability to walk. <coughs> and although, as we said before, it was thought he'd be paralyzed from the waist down, he made sure that that was not the case. And he walked and he drove and did what he needed to do and he continued working. I remember when he was being brought into surgery after the accident. Nothing much worked except for one arm and one eye, I think. And he was reading a manuscript on the stretcher. And I said to him, Tom, if nothing else works, but your brain and your eyes, you're going to be fine. And I sincerely believe that, and I know that he did too. I want to share one other story which relates to my sister Connie. My father loved ice cream, vanilla to be specific. And I remember a few months ago, I went to visit him at the rehab center where he was regaining his strength, and I greeted him with enthusiastic, Hi, Tom, how are you? And he looked at me with a straight face, and he asked me if I had the, the requisite package. <laughs> Puzzled. I asked him, what are you talking about? Requisite package. He mouthed to me, ice cream. I stammered and I said, stores were closed. I mean, Libby was still at Schlemmy's Bakery, but stores were closed at Bar Park and that early, and Laurel Park ran out of ice cream. I, don't know, I said some things. And he turned his head, and he looks to the side, and he says, Mr. that's okay. Your sister will be here in a few minutes. <laughs> and sure enough, she walked in with two boxes of ice cream. <laughs> the requisite package had arrived. 
it's late, and then I have much, much, much more to say, but I, I think we should, we should get going. Um, so I'd like to thank everybody who's come here today, taking time out on a Monday to listen, to hear from his close friends, from his close family, um, about his, his life and his trials and tribulations. My father spoke about community and the need to be a part of it, the need for warmth, as my brother-in-law pointed out, caring for his members. I just want to say that my work, both professionally at Oval and voluntarily at Kingsway, where I've served as one of the Gavayans for close to a decade and as co-president for the last five years with Jeff Bratko, working closely with Yona Mir, who's here, and Rabbi Kokea, Rabbi Shiffman, Rabbi Woman. Um, Everything that I've done at both OL and at Kingsway has really been an, an outgrowth of the influences that I was subject to growing up around my parents' table and making sure that we have a community that takes care of people, that has that small town feel, and really looks after the individual. We've talked about this town, I, we've talked about it as a family, but I wanted everyone here today to know that, to know at least where that comes from. So Tom, you can count on the fact that Sam said that we're going to stick together. Connie and Sam and Davey are very shitty. Penny and Leah, Mommy, Sue and I and the kids, grandkids, Donnie and Benji, Rifty, Yael, Gila, Tali, Leora, and soon to be, maybe, uh, we'll see what the baby will be. We will support each other. We will be there for each other. We will play our music over and over and over again and drive the kids crazy. We will continue to learn and to continue to work to make you and mommy proud. I have much more to say, but I'm going to stop. Um, and I'd like to ask the question Shmiel to come up with the film. Uh, Before I step down, I asked my father, huh? I asked the couple people in Akila, hey, I or any of us to show you the proper respect at any point, any time. Even my offhand comments say about the conversations with Jennifer and Hale in Akila, I said that.